Alyssa Barrickman. And I'm Cliff Barrickman. And we, we made the North American Bigfoot Center. Welcome to I Made This from Do Anything Media, a show about passionate people executing their big ideas in realistic ways you can learn from to make your own big idea a reality. I'm Bill Meeks, and I hope everybody out there had a great holiday. I know I did. We traveled to New York City for Christmas time, and I got a chance to go see former I Made This guest Connor Ratliff perform with his team, The Stepfathers, at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater there in New York, Hell's Kitchen. It was really cool to get to meet Connor, plus I got to see Gotham's Ben McKenzie in his show Grand Horizons on Broadway, which was really, really cool. It had just opened, too, just a couple days prior. Anyway, glad to be back, and today I'm talking with Cliff and Melissa Brockman, who run the North American Bigfoot Center in Boring, Oregon. You might know Cliff from the Animal Planet series Finding Bigfoot. And I personally know Melissa from casting her as a host and dancer for client videos back in my freelancing days. Now, Cliff has been a dedicated Sasquatch field researcher for more than two decades, and he brings all that experience to the North American Bigfoot Center. His wife, Melissa, is also really good at making horrific replicas and props, skills she's been able to put into use working at the museum. Now, I know people are usually pretty skeptical about Bigfoot, and we tackle that head on. And Cliff also tells us about some people whose Bigfoot theories are a little much, even for him. Okay, I made this for you. Take a listen. All right, thank you guys so much for joining me today. How are you doing out there? Yeah, just another day adventuring or at work, you know? (laughs) You guys have wintry kind of weather there, right? I'm in Florida, so I I get none of it. So I'm looking forward to hearing stories about snow if you have any. Hmm. No snow yet this year. I mean, there's snow at higher elevations, but we live at about 750 feet. And the snow, I think right now, is starting about 1,500 feet. It's just been raining like cats and dogs so today. That happens in Florida, too. We call it the 3 p.m. apocalypse, where it just rains like crazy for about 45 minutes. And then it's clear the rest of the day, but muggy. Yeah, we, we call it Oregon. <laughs> Let's go ahead and get started here. And we'll start with you, Cliff. Uh, why don't you tell me how you got interested in Bigfoot? Well, as long as I can remember, even as a little boy, I loved monsters, you know, and I grew up in the in kind of a golden age of Bigfoot schlockumentary sort of stuff, you know, <laughs> in search of and Legend of Boggy Creek and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, back when I was a little boy, Bigfoot was just another monster like Frankenstein or Dracula, you know, mm-hmm. and I've always been kind of a weird guy in general. So I've had these interests in strange fringe subjects. But when I was in college, I ran across a, a book that kind of outlined a lot of the scientific work that had been done on Sasquatches. And it kind of was just driven home to me. It's like, holy crap, not only are these like quirky and weird, but they're probably real. And so I started camping in place. I started camping anyway, but I started camping in places where Bigfoots have been seen and, you know, getting my toes wet, so to speak, in the pool of Bigfoot field research. Mm-hmm. Like I'm an amateur scientist, you know, I have a scientific mind and I've just kind of continued through the years. And then eventually I was publishing stuff on blogs and then I ended up on Animal Planet's Finding Bigfoot television show for 10 years. And Okay, well, let's get her prepped and get her on the air. Yeah, let's send that up. The Everglades is a huge area. That is too large of an area for our team to cover, especially at night. So we called in drone specialists so we can take photographs from the air of what's going on right now in the environment. If we can find out where the animals are moving around, perhaps we can find where the Sasquatches also are right now. Okay, clear to launch. 
now I've opened a museum on the subject and yeah, I'm not sure what's, what's going to happen next, but you know, life is a weird adventure and then you die. So <laughs> you were host on, on finding Bigfoot for a while. How did you find that, you know, being sort of a reality show talent for 10 years? Um, it's challenging in its own ways because uh, real serious Bigfoot investigation doesn't go well with television, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because at the end of the day, you know, Bigfoot investigation stuff, especially field work, is fairly boring. You know, sitting around for long periods of time or, you know, in a tree stand like a lot of hunters recommend or walking in the woods and, and, and the night op stuff, you know, it doesn't go well with cameras and lights because really without a camera or light, you don't have a TV show and you need to have that. So um, television. Television is a very difficult medium to navigate when you're trying to do real Bigfoot stuff. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we managed it, you know, because there, there's a couple ways to approach field work, you know, besides just the investigation of things that have already happened. When, like if you're trying to encounter a Sasquatch, you could do the stealth mode. That's really, really boring and makes bad TV. Mm -hmm. Or you could go in, you know, being ridiculous and loud and drawing attention to yourself because if Sasquatches have a a weakness, it's their intelligence dash curiosity. They just might come around to check out like what the heck is going on in my woods, you know. So that's what we basically did. That was our, our intent to go and make some noises and try to see if we can grab something's attention. Then, um, you know, it works sometimes. And most of the time it didn't because that's what Bigfooting is. Mm-hmm. You know, you go a hundred times and, you know, at, at random and you might get three or four things, but those three or four things keep you coming back for more. Oh, yeah. Now I saw I, I was, you know, doing a little exploration online about you uh, before we talked today. And I noticed uh, you, you took Bob Saget out once. I, why don't you tell me a little bit about that? Well, yeah, Bob Saget did a TV show back in the day. I call, I think it was called Strange Days. It only ran for one season where um, Mr. Saget would put himself into different cultures and really immerse himself. And he wanted to do a Bigfoot trip. Mm-hmm. Bigfoot, Sasquatch. The clinical name is Bipedicus Giganticus. My eyes are up here. My friends were really featured heavily on the show, uh, Bobo, James Faye Bobo, who was also my colleague on Finding Bigfoot, and another good friend of mine um, named Craig Flippy. Um, they were really the stars of that. I mean, I was just kind of along for the ride and I got, you know, I cast Bob's footprint and, <laughs> you know, there's a uh, B-roll sort of section stuff on uh, or special feature stuff online where I'm, I'm talking to Bob about uh, various vocalizations and stuff. But, yeah, um, it was kind of a, an event where a lot of my friends, you know, they said, hey, this is happening. Why don't you come on up? So I did. And I got to meet the guy and he's not nearly as weird and raunchy and everything as the rest of his uh, acts are. I was about to ask that, like, was he in, you know, Bob Saget, Bob Saget mode or like Danny Tanner, Bob Saget mode? Uh, somewhere in between, <laughs> somewhere in between. I mean, he, he he wasn't exactly raunchy, but he also just it wasn't rated G either. He was doing his own comedy show. So throw out as many jokes as possible and let the editors sort him out. Okay, so we'll set the stage here. You know, you're uh, doing this reality show stuff about Bigfoot. When does Melissa enter the picture? Like what, season six or something? I don't know. Yeah, like one day um, she knew one of the other cast members and um, she got a job as a a production assistant on the show. Mm -hmm. And I remember the first day she showed up and I go, who's that? You know, I want to talk to her. (laughs) And, And I eventually did and we got married. It was that it wasn't quite that fast nor easy, but that's kind of the shortest version of the story you can say. (laughs) 
Very nice. Well, me and Melissa go back a, a while, and I'll go ahead and address this too. I, I used to actually use Melissa as a like a host slash actress for a bunch of these really lame freelancing videos I did uh, way back in the day. You remember that, Melissa? I totally remember doing a lot of yoga poses. Oh yeah, that was it was for an Australian gym, and they wanted <laughs> like a series of videos to play on their their TV monitors in the gym. So we had Melissa come over, and you did like hip hop dance and yoga yeah. and a whole bunch of stuff. Oh, my husband would have laughed. Yeah, I'd those still. I'd love to see those. <laughs> I actually, they should be laying around somewhere. I'll make a note of it. I'll try and send them over to you after we're done here today. Yeah, we can use it for our behind the scenes Patreon accounts for the museum or something. (laughs) When my wife and I were getting ready to move, things were, well... (laughs) Busy. (laughs) Luckily, my friend Marissa had recently moved and she told me about this great website called movinggood.com. We had no idea it could be this easy to move. So, okay, so we have the reality TV, and then you meet Melissa. When do you guys decide that you want to build the North American Bigfoot Center? I think once we learned that the show was done, we kind of just enjoyed each other for a while because we had been dating long distance for a while and, you know, kind of been busy in TV's very relentless and crazy schedules. Mm -hmm. So we kind of just enjoyed living, and uh, we bought a house, and... You know, just to really know what we were going to do next, um, we kind of put it out there that that a museum would have been a great idea, mm-hmm. but didn't really have a, a plan in place. You know, so uh, it just kind of fell on our laps. Really, um, Cliff has the second largest cast collection in the world, other than Jeff Meldrum. You know, we have a lot of evidence uh, sitting around the house, <laughs> and, I, and we both thought, you know, what better way than have a center based on physical evidence. Um, provide a safe space for people to come and talk squatch. Were you guys already living there or did you select the location you have uh, for a specific reason? Well, we were living in Portland, Oregon at the time, and I've been trying to move out to the woods for uh, forever, it seems, but, you know, for a long time. And then uh, um, with the, uh, my parents passed and I got an inheritance and I, I decided the, the most honorable use of my inheritance money would be to put that on a house, you know, because I think my parents would be proud of me to do something, you know, and that kind of keeps my parents around, too, you know? Yeah. So we did that. And so we live out in the woods outside of Sandy, Oregon, um, near a place where there's been a number of Sasquatch sighting reports, because like most people, we chose the location of our property based on Sasquatch sighting reports. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, And we figured, okay, well, in the last couple of years since the show's been over, um, we've been making our living by basically me going and doing public appearances and speaking at conferences. And I guess I'm a pretty high demand public speaker in the Bigfoot circuits. But you know, that takes me away from home, you know, where Melissa is and her dog and our property. Mm-hmm. And I did like 20 or more jobs, 25 jobs this past year. And that's four or five days at a time away from home and kind of adds up and it's grueling and it's not that lucrative, you know, so we're scratching a living by me being gone all the time. Kind of thought that, well, you know, maybe there's a way to, you know, if we're not going to make much money in general, maybe there's a way to not make much money closer to home. <laughs> yeah. And then a friend of mine, Actually, a couple friends of mine own similar museums in other parts of the country, uh, like Lauren Coleman owns the International Cryptozoology Museum in Portland, Maine, and Dave and Melinda Becerra own uh, Expedition Bigfoot out in Georgia, a great Bigfoot museum, and Mike Rugg um, owns a little shop down in Felton, California, and these other people have done this before. You know, we're not the mm-hmm. trailblazers here. We're kind of using them as a model and then uh, improving and changing things as we seem as we deem necessary to fit our personalities you know what do you think your uh, differentiator is you know the thing that sets you apart from those other museums 
Well, off the top of my head, I, I think my notoriety due to the uh, you know the TV ex- exposure, of course, that sets us aside because mm-hmm. um, in a way, I'm part of the exhibits there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. People walk in, they go like, "I can't believe you're working here." So why not? It's it's our shop. Like you know, Melissa and I own. This. Why shouldn't I work it? But I just thought you'd be so more. It's like, well, I mean, reality TV exists, so they don't have to pay you much money. I mean, I need a job, right? Mm-hmm. I also think, not to interrupt you, but I also think what sets us apart is the fact that we take records of people's sightings and, and we, they fill out a form, they mark it on a map. Um, we take them seriously and we, we're we trying to get a record of Sasquatch activity in Clackamas County where we are. Yeah. And I don't know they're not doing that, the other people, but... Um, we're seriously investigating and interested in people's accounts who are local. Well, yeah, and also uh, we're the only one in Oregon and Washington. You know, there's there's a very small one in in Willow Creek, California. There's a, another very small one or museum. I mean, there's a very small museum in Willow Creek, California, mm-hmm. that houses the Bob Titmus Footprint Track Collection. And the, and then there's another very small sort of house-like museum down in Felton, outside of Santa Cruz. But we're the only ones in Oregon and Washington, and this is prime Sasquatch habitat. And, you know, Portland goes around flaunting things like, you know, like, keep Portland weird. Oh, yeah, well, where's your your Bigfoot museum? (laughs) You know, how weird can you really profess to be without one of those Mr. and Mrs. Portlanders? So I decided to step in with Melissa and set the record Uh, straight. Yeah. They just have their fixes and they think that's enough. That's not nearly enough. Not nearly enough to keep it weird. Exactly. Yeah, as weird as possible. So so you said that, uh, you know, you get... Reports of sightings from your locality there. Do you guys ever use that information to go out and investigate or try and triangulate where a Bigfoot might be? Oh, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, at this point, um, collecting sighting reports, you know, that's been done for 50 years. Mm. Um, We're not going to learn a whole lot more from them as far as the species goes. I mean, sure, there's going to be surprises here and there. Don't get me wrong. But the real value from sighting reports is the where and when it happened mm-hmm. um, because if you can figure out where and when these things are, you know, where and when these things, these Sasquatches are in a certain area, then maybe you can figure out why they're there. And then that might help you predict their movements in the future. Cause we're really way past the point of if they're real at this point, um, we're no longer trying to solve that. What we're trying to do is find out how they live mm-hmm. um, and use that information to predict their movements. So we can possibly get footage or other evidence from them. Like for example, there's a spot outside of Colton, that's produced footprints or sightings in 2015, 2017, and 2018, all in November. But that's an interesting pattern. And I'm sure there was, they're probably out there right now because it's not that much after November. I didn't hear anything this past year. But it's those sort of patterns that we, uh, that we gather from our sighting report data that helps me direct uh, my field operations. Do, do you think the Bigfoot creatures are just uh, looking for like a good Thanksgiving meal every year? Or, or why, why do you think it, they picked November? <laughs> um, I think that people are seeing them out in that particular area because it's a person, it's, it's a human factor mm. um, because November is deer hunting season. Oh yeah. And I, I think that, that Colton is a very wild area. There's some um, wilderness stretches in there, maybe not officially designated wilderness stretches, uh, stretches, but but functionally wilderness. And I think that people go out to that area because there's deer and elk in that area. And I, these reports have all come from hunters. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's a place that's close to, I can't really call it town because Colton is a tiny little town, but I mean, it's not like a city center, like Portland or something like that, but it's close to where a lot of these folks live. And it's a wild area with a lot of game. So um, I think that's why the reports come from that area at that time of year. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, you know, uh, and you kind of alluded to it a couple minutes ago, there, there's a 
healthy amount of skepticism around the concept of Bigfoot. So I, I wanted to know from each of you, you know, when did you start to think that, you know, Bigfoot was re- like, you know, put away your skepticism and sort of embrace uh, the reality of Bigfoot? Well, your, for, yours is earlier than mine. So yeah, I'll, I'll go first, just chronologically. Um, I, I think it's when I became aware of the evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that skeptics are the, are, are the least informed on the subject. Um, they think that, well, why don't people see them more? So, well, they see them all the time. Like, how come this happened? How, where are the bones? You know, the way they talk about all these questions. And some of them are good and some of them are bad, just ill-informed. Um, but the skeptics are not very well informed on the subject. They're not aware of the work that's been done. They're not aware of the evidence that's been collected and the congruency of that evidence and what it points to. I knew these things were real based on the evidence long before I saw one. You know, so you don't need to see something to believe it. You didn't, I mean, have you ever seen an atom? I doubt it, but you think they're real because that's the that's the model that seems to be true. Mm-hmm. You know, most people have never seen mountain lions, but they think they're real. I, I don't know. So I knew they're real back actually when I first discovered that book, and I started reading about again about the scientific work that's been done on the subject by anthropologists, um, both cultural and physical anthropologists. Skeptics have a lot of explaining to do. Like, if these things aren't real, then how and why do every native group in North America that lives in suitable habitat, how could it be that they all have an animal that fits this description um, of a giant hair-covered human-like thing living out in the woods? Um, the, the tribes in Florida didn't talk to the tribes in British Columbia, you know, but yet they have the same – description, including behavioral descriptions that we now realize today are Sasquatch behaviors in their oral tradition. You know, again, just looking at the evidence will bring you to the conclusion that maybe maybe you won't be completely convinced that they're real, Mm -hmm. but to to be aware of the breadth of evidence and the congruency therein, it should open your mind. If you still have a closed mind that these things do not exist because they cannot exist, then you're maybe you're not a good reader. I don't know. <laughs> do you guys get many people coming into the museum who are skeptical or is there pretty much people who are kind of already on your side? I think it's a mix. I think there's probably more, I, I think there's more believers in my experience anyway, when I'm in there. I mean, there are uh, you know skeptics, but I think that the believers outnumber them. Yeah, and so believing believing's a tough thing um, because believing me, implies that you think it's real despite a um, a lack of evidence. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like like that's for religion and politics. I believe this is real because I believe it. And, but in the absence of evidence, I should say, but the evidence is there. Um, and then, of course, most people need to have a subjective experience, like a personal experience, which is, I, I think, how Melissa here came around the corner and decided that they were real. Yeah. Before the show, uh, I didn't I I was more of a paranormal person. I, I did ghost hunts. You know, I'd take folks out to the woods and go to a cemetery or. Yeah, I, rem- I think I remember you asking me to come out with you one time, but scheduling was weird or something. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's so fun. You should have totally come. But uh, I brought my, you know, my meters and my cameras and my recorders and I did all that sort of thing. But uh, Bigfoot really wasn't on my radar so much. Uh, And then when I got the job and I was on the road with these guys going to different states and and just listening to the witnesses and actually being there, Mm -hmm. you know, instead of watching it on my TV, but actually hearing them and seeing them and how scared they were to tell their stories. Um, and then in night investigations, you know, hearing wood knocks or, you know, I, I, I think I was in Turner, Maine when I 
had my first experience, I think, was a Bigfoot. And it was terrifying. And um, I started thinking there might be something to this. And then as I learned and listened to other people, I just, you know, gathered all the information to decide that, uh, yeah, I do definitely believe in them. (laughs) So Yeti, Sasquatch, Bigfoot, call it what you want, but it's an interesting thing to talk about. Yeah. Just off Highway 26. Some ways it's eye-opening. In boring on the way to Mount Hood. We are here. We are open from now on. Masks, maps, castings, and yes, a life-size Bigfoot fill a new museum dedicated to all things about the elusive creature. You know, this is an audio podcast, so I can't exactly roll footage or show photos or something. So why don't you guys describe uh, for our listeners what the experience is like when they come to the North American Bigfoot Center? Well, when you come in the door, you find yourself in the gift store dash information center. Yeah, it's a gift store. We have a bunch of like, you know, big footy sort of gifts and uh, shirts and toys and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Everything you'd imagine a gift store in a museum would have footprint casts. We have those for sale. It's just a, a tremendous number of Bigfoot related merchandise items. Mm-hmm. But it's also the information center. And I think that's actually equally important uh, for us, at least, because we, we're trying to be an educational institution in a way. I was an elementary school teacher before I ended up on television. So I'm trying to continue my educational career, but about this subject. Mm-hmm. And on the walls inside the information center, yeah, there, there's movie posters and there's stuff that kind of anchor the, um, the visitor in his or her experience with Bigfoot, because most people have experienced it through the media in one form or another. But there's also footprint casts on the wall. And with background information on each one of the footprint casts, um, you know, about, you know, this particular police officer cast this and these are the circumstances that led that police officer on this investigation and what he found, you know, or this particular cast has mysteries associated with it. And, you know, that sort of stuff, some background information. We also have some general educational uh, posters, like, for example, there's one on cryptozoology, Mm -hmm. which is a fancy word for um, the study of animals that have not yet been discovered, but might be real. Um, and a tremendous number of animals fall into that category besides just Sasquatches. And like the coelacanth fish is an excellent example. It's a fish that we know exists, but we thought was extinct for 20-something million years. You know, we knew they were real from the fossil record. And then like in the, I think in the 1920s, this ichthyologist, uh, this woman was down in, in uh, off Madagascar in Africa. And, and like she saw one of these things in a fish market. I said, what? And she like, like, what is that? And then, you know, basically she rediscovered a species that all the local people said, yeah, yeah, we catch those all the time. We eat them. They're called this or, you know, and they have a local name for them. Mm-hmm. Um, the bear is another great example. Um, that was they finally got a pelt of that thing in the late 1800s and couldn't get another one for decades after that because these things were so elusive, not only by their nature, but also where they live in the world and their rarity. Uh, Komodo dragons, uh, mountain gorillas were discovered, I think, in 1902. The largest primate on the planet. Didn't know they existed until 1902. And, and throughout the 1990s in Vietnam, very large uh, goat-like animals were discovered, deer and that sort of stuff. And mm-hmm. cryptozoology. Mothman. Well, Mothman hasn't been discovered. <laughs> you know, that's just one of these things out there. Yeah, but and so we have some displays on other cryptids as well. But um, the real gem of the museum, of course, is in the back room, the display uh, uh, display halls, the exhibit halls. That's where the vast majority of stuff is. We have a big life-size Sasquatch um, replica that looks very compelling and a lot of the 
um, uh, witnesses we work with who have had close encounters with Sasquatch, they all say that that's very close to what they remember seeing. Was that something that was prefab that you guys bought or did you kind of build it up yourselves? Actually, um, going back to our, our Bigfoot, um, seven and a half feet tall was sculpted by Bo Bruns out of Unit 70 Studios in, I think it's in what, Dayton? Uh, Columbus, Ohio. Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. Um, so we want to give him a plug there, too. He does great work. It looks like it's foam latex. It's, it's relatively light. I mean, although you you have a bit of trouble trying to get it out yourself, but uh, <laughs> it's pretty light. But the hair, the the anatomy, the ratio of the arms and legs, the torso, everything is just on point. And um, we've had a couple of people who have seen it say that's exactly what I saw. Mm-hmm. And then that, that's how you know you got a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Melissa, you you do I because you know we follow each other on you know Facebook and Instagram and stuff. Yeah. You you do some weird sort of uh, casting stuff. Like I've seen, I, I remember seeing like weird horrific finger pens or something like that. What's that all about? Oh, I love it. I love um, making uh, severed fingers. Mm-hmm. My favorite thing to do. <laughs> um, I did make a severed finger of a Bigfoot uh, magnet for the shop. We do sell those. Um, yeah, I just really like to sculpt and and that's one thing too that i you know he does a lot of the content of the museum and he'll say you know i want this sculpt of a bigfoot and i do those as well so or maybe a rock facade or something like that so i actually make the fake rocks and the walls and all that that kind of leads me to my next question too because i was wondering you know as a married couple, how, how do you guys sort of divide the labor on this enterprise? Uh, it's nice, actually, because uh, you know, generally speaking, like I would get there early. Melissa can hang back, you know, and um, like make like, make me lunch or something like that and bring I it into work. I do that. Um, and now we're closed on Tuesday, Wednesdays, but, you know, she started uh, taking Mondays off and I started taking Thursdays off. So we're kind of giving each other three day weekends. Mm-hmm. Um, so two of those days we can spend together. Um, and then the other day we can off, go off and do whatever we need to do. You know, like I go to the woods or talk to witnesses and I don't know what she does. She probably uh, make makes fingers. Yeah, make fingers. fingers all day long. <laughs> yeah. it, it, I know it's usually married couples don't really work together well, but I, I will say Cliff is, is a real fun person to work with. And even at night when we have dinner, I'm not sick of looking at his face. <laughs> I love him. So it's, it's a good partnership. It's, it's easy. Well, I'd say it sounds it. Yeah. And, uh, being in a, a married relationship, I could, I could definitely see being at home with each other all the time than being at work with each other all the time. It could probably get a little strained, but it, it sounds like you guys have it, you know, locked down. <laughs> so I I've noticed, uh, particularly in the past couple few weeks, actually, um, that you guys have been getting a lot of press about about this place. So I was wondering, you know, how are you uh, how are you sort of arranging that? And is it uh, showing in the number of people coming? Like, are you seeing increased attendance? Um, Well, yes and no. I mean, a lot of people who come in say they saw us on the news or whatever, or they read this article or that article. Um, Really, most people are seeing us on television, though. I'm a little disappointed in the amount people read nowadays. I don't think they're reading articles like they used to, honestly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's just a critique on the larger society. But uh, (laughs) That's teacher clip. Yeah, that's teacher clip. Like, you know, bitching. Absolutely, the way things are. Um, <laughs> These kids and, don't read anymore. No, um, <laughs> attendance is okay right now, which is actually great because at, at the end of the day, we're a new business. We only opened the doors in August, and 
this is also the slow season. It's not quite ski season yet, and summer is definitely over. And essentially, you know, Bigfoot Museum, we're essentially part of the tourism industry. So the fact that we're uh, having a, a steady, you know, maybe not heavy, but a steady stream of visitors is a good sign for us, considering we're a brand new business and this is the slowest season of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we're taking rent. We're doing okay. We're pushing through. Things are uh, wonderful, and we have, we're optimistic about the future. And I actually think word of mouth has been better for us even. Yeah. You know, I, I hear a lot of people say, I, I, I heard about you from my cousin or my brother or whatever. And and that's, kind of, you know, it's very, we, it's a small town boring, you know, and the little communities surrounding it and people talk. And it's, it's so nice, you know, people are recommending it to their friends and families. And we're really grateful for the the support of the local communities. Have you guys had any sort of uh, fun or interesting visitors or surprising visitors to the center? <laughs> um, yeah, certainly. Because uh, believe it or not, there's a couple weird people in the Bigfoot community. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and every once in a while, a couple of them roll through the door. And it's a lot of fun. I mean, I, I love weird things and weird people. And the, the weirder, the better, mm-hmm. I'd say. Um, and everyone is welcome in the door at the Bigfoot at the Bigfoot Center, of course. I, I will say, Cliff, uh, with the weird thing, I, I completely agree with you. It's one of my favorite words to use in many, many contexts. And people always assume you're using it negatively. I'm like, no, no, weird is a positive. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, and you know, obviously, I, I have my own thoughts about Sasquatches or whatever, what they are, or what they're not. Um, and I don't have to agree with anybody to enjoy their company. So, I mean, I don't like, for example, I don't think Bigfoots are paranormal at all. Um, but lots mm-hmm. of people do. And people are coming in the door and they say, yeah, big, this Bigfoot was telling me this and like by through telepathy in my brain. And I just listen and go, all right, that's great, man. You have a much more exciting life than I do. <laughs> um, I think that they're like bears or something that, you know, not, not quite bears. I think they're actually hominins, which is a, a whole different story. Yeah, so a lot of interesting people do come through the doors with a lot of interesting stories. Like, I'm, I'm kind of curious, uh, we, what, what are, what's sort of the rationale for the, uh, the supernatural interpretation of them? Like, is it like some sort of like weird wood god or something like that that they think uh, Bigfoot is? Or I think that people underestimate Sasquatches and probably overestimate themselves in some ways. And therefore, they have to go to another unknown to explain this unknown. Mm. Um, like, oh, we would know about them by now, so there must be something extra special, like paranormal about them. They must be able to turn invisible because I, I they'd be seen more often. Um, they must, uh, I don't know, any number of things. And, I, and then people, you know, people are weird and they people have weird perceptions of their own reality. And I think they start attributing some of those things to Sasquatches. Um, doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, I think, I think you should start with the most mundane explanation and move on from there. If the, that model doesn't work well for the thing you're trying to describe, but you know, pe- people just love a good mystery and they're happy to compile all sorts of mysteries and start piling them on top of one another mm-hmm. um, to explain them away. Just out of curiosity, uh, within the community, is there any sort of, I, I don't know, hoidiness or snobbery about like using the term Bigfoot versus Sasquatch? No, not at all. Sasquatch actually is a, is a term that was coined by J.W. Burns, who is this white guy on a native reservation um, or First Peoples Reserve is actually the proper term because it was up in Canada. And up in Canada, they, they prefer to be called First Nations people mm-hmm. and reservations are called reserves. So um, this guy, J.W. Burns, who was a teacher on the Sahela's Reserve 
um, outside of Harrison Hot Springs. And um, he started hearing stories about these giant hair covered people that lived in the woods. And he then he started talking to people, witnesses who had seen these things. And um, the local tribal name for these these things, these animals can't be Englished very well. Like there are sounds in their language that there are no corresponding letters for. Mm-hmm. So he anglicized it and turned it into the word Sasquatch. And that word, that word was born in the 1920s at some point. Then the word Bigfoot came about in about 1958 when um, the Jerry Crew, this guy, got the first um, still in existence Bigfoot casts and brought it to the news media. And then um, the, you know the word Bigfoot was born. So really, Bigfoot is from California and Sasquatch is from British Columbia, but they did both describe the same animals. Let's go ahead and uh, circle back around to the business a little bit. What were some of the challenges you faced when trying to put the center together? Like, was there anything that uh, if you had to do it over again, you'd do differently? Um, Of course. (laughs) We we have no idea how to build a business because we're, we're, you know, he's an educator, you know, Sasquatch enthusiast, I'm whatever I am, you know, we don't really have the business thing. Um, so I think we knew what we wanted. Um, uh, we knew what we wanted to, it to look like, uh, but, but executing it was really ha- uh, hard. We've learned a tremendous amount about how not to run yeah. a museum so far. <laughs> and really I'm a doer. I, I'm not a, I'm not a conceptual kind of guy. I'm cause I was, I was an elementary school teacher for 14 years again, before TV grabbed me and I got put on the screen. So therefore I have a couple of superpowers because of my elementary school teaching background. And one of those superpowers is I can do anything with no resources. <laughs> You know, that's what teachers are expected to do day in, day out. My wife's a teacher, too, and I thousand percent agree. Yeah, yeah. So we just kind of jumped in and muddled our way through it with with the help of some great contractors and people who worked with us and graphic designers. And, you know, we pulled in favors from friends and, you know, yeah. And and for I don't know how, but we made it through the tunnel and now we're in business. It's it's great that you guys guys uh you know have, have found a way to turn your passion into your job uh you know you know a lot of people uh, try and do that and and they they can't just make it click and and it seems like you guys are really starting to make it click for yourselves and that's always uh, great to see oh thank you so so what are your big plans for say the next year or so uh you know to kind of build out the center more well right now um, we want to make better use of our space. I think that's probably the next challenge for us because we have to do we do have a fairly small um, space, 24, 2,500 square feet or something. Mm-hmm. So now it's about using the space we have wisely. Like at first it was get the doors open. Let's get rent paid, you know. But uh, now, um, OK, now that we have this steady stream of people, um, we need to use the space we have more intelligently. And we can build out a little bit like we have these ideas of this little that we have this long closet, for example, that we want to punch a hole in the wall and turn it into a Yeti cave. You know, <laughs> it's an underground little thing, you know, for the kids and the kids inside the adults, you know, mm-hmm. and um, maybe do some fossil sort of work inside there, you know, fossil displays. We, we want to continue doing some special events, having guest speakers at the shop. I know Melissa um, really, really wants to do a Bigfoot themed haunt. Ooh. for next October because no one else appears doing that. That's a very fun idea. I, I like that. Thank you. Yeah, I, I want to be closed for three weeks on um, the last three weeks of October. Um, no museum, just straight on haunt, you know, um, <laughs> because I, I just think that would be so cool. And it would bring in the haunt people, uh, not so much the Bigfoot enthusiasts, but like a different section of 
you know, Portland. So, and and then you know you can give them a pamphlet on the way out, and they can come back in November when Big, Bigfoot's around, anyway. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, we have a lot of plans, and even setting up like a, a Patreon because we've gotten a lot of interest on that online. You know, hey, is there a way I could be a member or what? So we're kind of looking to do that. Uh, you know, after the new year as well, try to figure out how to reach more people, even if they're not in uh, this area, they could still feel like they're part of the. NABC. Yeah, P- Patreon's really great for that. We used it to fund our podcasting stuff for a number of years. And, and it's just great because not only do you get the cash money that you need to, you know, put a food to mouth and all that stuff, but you also get this really super engaged community who are big fans of everything you're doing. As you try and grow things and you want to move in different directions, you have this great sort of focus group you can run any idea past and they're going to tell you what they think and if you follow their advice everyone who is already into your stuff is gonna be right along for the ride so uh, good luck with that definitely have you guys thought about doing any sort of a like a youtube channel or a podcast or something based around bigfoot well i already do a podcast based around bigfoot it's called bigfoot oh do you yeah yeah bobo who was one of my colleagues on finding bigfoot um he and i um, found ourselves talking every week anyway, and people kept asking, "Hey, where can I, where can I see you and Bobo do stuff?" And they, like, "Well, Bobo, why don't we just record this, you know, and put it out?" And um, this worked out really well. So Bobo and I do a weekly podcast called Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. You know, uh, we get together, we talk about Bigfoot stuff that's going on right now or what we've been doing in the field with Sasquatch. We have guests on, witnesses and that sort of stuff. So and, and uh, Melissa and I have talked a lot about a YouTube channel for the museum where, you know, we can let our quirky personalities shine through small advertisements or field work. And and mm-hmm. that I imagine, you know, I might, we might be able to integrate that somehow with the Patreon account. And I, I don't know, that's, yeah. that's a big world that I've only barely stuck my toe into at this point. You know, the- the first one I think should be watch Cliff eat a ghost pepper. (laughs) (laughs) Things like that. Just fun, quirky. Oh yeah. And and those are definitely good to kind of build that connection further and further with your audience too. Uh, Guys, uh, thank you again so much for joining me today. It's, it's been a great talk learning about the North American Bigfoot center and everything you guys have been doing. And you guys are such a great team, which is always great to see. Why don't you let people know where they can find out some more information? Okay. Well, thank you, by the way, you've been a great host. So our website, you can find out information on there is North American Bigfoot center.com. Uh, we're on all the social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, of course, Facebook. Um, what, did I miss any? No, I think that's mostly it. Yeah, you mm-hmm. can find us on all those sort of things. We try to post a couple times a week or more. Yeah. Um, yeah, so follow us there, and that's a great way to learn about what we've been up to, new exhibits that are coming, new features that we're adding, um, uh, special events that we might be hosting. And we're going to just- get our online store up and running. Um, we're working on that right now. Yeah, yeah, we're kind of slowly yeah. adding things to that. But yeah, I tried to deal with that a few weeks ago and I disabled the entire inventory system and it, and it really screwed things up. So it was it, not yeah, it's a big learning learning curve for me, <laughs> but I'm doing it. Well, you know, your expertise is in going out and hunting Bigfoot, not, you know, setting up a Shopify account or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to ask you guys one more question and then we'll wrap it up here. Just because this is one of my favorite movies from when I was a kid, opinion on Harry and the Hendersons. It doesn't have to be big. Just I'm curious what you guys think about that movie. The last scene's the best. 
The very, very last scene, in my opinion, is the best one. Where the, he, they, they let Harry loose again, and all the, the four or five Bigfoots that were in the woods, and he didn't even see him until they moved. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's my opinion on it. And it's a little unnerving to see the guy who runs the Bigfoot Museum and realize that's probably me in 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got to say, the first time I saw it was two years ago. Yeah. Uh, we uh, Baker, one of my... You know, my gosh, one of the biggest influences of uh, makeup and sculpting, Rick Baker, he did uh, Harry and the Henderson's costume. He did all the effects on that. He film. won awards for it, I think. He won it? awards, yes. Um, and he he was going to be at the live screening uh, in Portland here, the Hollywood Theater. Mm-hmm. So Cliff and I ran down and and got to meet Rick Baker and watch the movie. And I, I had to go to the bathroom and cry because it was so sad. Yeah, she cried. I cry. I do. <laughs> I get emotional. But um what a beautiful film. I, I love that so much. Love it. Yeah, it, it's a great film. There was that also uh, not quite as great, but still pretty decent sitcom uh, that they did too back in the <laughs> 90s. If you can uh, YouTube up some of those episodes, you might enjoy those too. Okay. All right, guys. Well, I, I'm going to let you get back to it. Uh, and uh, if you can get me an interview with Bigfoot, I'd appreciate it. Um, so, so, you know, just let me know on that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Same goes for you though. Let me give pass on my number if you get it. Oh, you know what? I, the second either of us run, run into Bigfoot conference call, we all three get on the line. It'll be perfect. <laughs> all right. Thanks for listening to the show. If you have your own big idea, you've made a reality. We want to hear about it. Let us know by emailing I made this at doanything.media. We'd love to share your project or maybe even talk to you about it. You can follow the show at I made this show all one word on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Again, that's at I made this show. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or on our website I made this.doanything.media. Again, that's I made this.doanything.media. And if you do subscribe, make sure you leave a review so we can shout you out on the show. I'm Bill Meeks. Thanks for listening.